The time is now. What is the secret to success? Movement. People look at you strange saying you change, like you work that hard to stay the same. Like you're doing all this for a reason. Hard work. Yeah. Works. Today's Trainers Talk is brought to you by the Calcica Fit app. The Calcica Fit app has over a hundred different workout videos from yoga, Pilates, core, strength, hit, on the go, TRX, meditation. Even if you're having a hard time going to sleep at night, we got something for that. So check that out. It's less than 50 cents a day. Go to calcicafit.com for more details. Yeah. Welcome to the latest Trainers Talk. My name is Donovan Allman. And I'm happy to have you join me this week. Um, we have two special uh, guests this week. One is Michael Scala, a personal training extraordinaire in the Valley. And he's going to discuss his uh, drop down and give me 10, which is a new special I've been doing. 10 questions right to the point where you get to know the person a little bit better. And after that, we have Dr. Shannon Green. We'll explain that a little bit more when we get ready for her interview. But right now, let's get to Michael Scala. Yeah. What do we got? <laughs> hey, you ready? Yeah. Drop down and give me 10. <laughs> All right. Welcome, Michael. How are you doing? Good, good, good. All right. So 10 questions. We'll move through them kind of quickly. Okay. Give me the answer that first kind of comes to your head. And if you want to elaborate, yeah, please do. All right, cool. All right. Question number one. Oh boy. Morning workout or evening workout? Morning workout. Yeah. Why, evening. Why is that? Um, evening workout, I'm tired. <laughs> gotcha. Morning, I still got some energy. All right. Favorite meal of the day? Ooh, dinner. Why is that? Because um, I don't eat lunch <laughs> and I make up for it during dinner. Yeah. We, we see what happens when you don't eat lunch. You, <laughs> your brain crashes pretty quickly. Um, if you had your choice, weights, class, or outdoor rec? Uh, say it again. If you had your choice of a workout, like, you know, if you had the, the choice, would it be weights, a class, or outdoor rec? Oh. Hmm. Oof, that's tough. I would say weights. Wow. I, I, I we, know. <laughs> we have come a long way. Yes. In the past, I would have said rec, maybe some a cardio type. Yeah. But I would say weights. Oh. Yeah, that's right. This man puts on some muscle that's and he right. starts to want to hit the oh. weights. I like it. <laughs> okay. One song to start your workout. What's that song? This is tough. Um, to start workout? Like, yeah. It, like, it's Can like it the sit? one that gets you in the mindset of like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say one that's really good is... Because um, I asked for one. <laughs> <laughs> I have multiple in my head. Okay, give, give me... Uh, give, so so that I would say, um, actually, there's you know, Fat Boy Slim okay. right, right here, uh, right now. Right here, right now. Gotcha. Yeah, is a good one. There's Dead Mouse, Strobe. Yeah. Um, Gas Left, you know, PR. <laughs> okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> um, what gets you out of the bed in the morning? Good question. Um, 
I think what gets me out of bed is, uh, is you know, wanting to, to kind of seize the day. That's what gets me out. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Carpe diem. Yeah. Um, describe your perfect client. Ooh. Remember, they're watching. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them what yeah. you want. <laughs> Just show up on time and work hard. Love it. Yeah. If you had two free hours, would you watch a documentary, an action movie, or a reality show? Documentary. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. You can only keep one. Okay. Coffee or wine? This is <laughs> coffee. Okay. Let's try this again. You can only keep one. Coffee or beer? <laughs> <laughs> That's harder. <laughs> but I'm going to say coffee. Coffee is a must. Okay. Coffee is a must. Yeah. All right. Hopefully this never happens. What's your death row meal? Pizza. Pizza. Oh. Yeah. Anything on it? Um, oh, man. Probably. A mix. I would actually. I would go some um, diced tomatoes, uh, pepperoni, mm-hmm. uh, onion, olives, and then I'd do a green on there too. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. All right. That's that's pretty healthy deferral <laughs> meal there. Um, who is your body inspiration? Is there somebody you look at and you're like, God damn it, I want to, <laughs> I want to try to get to, get there, get to that level. Yeah. Um, I would say. Oof, that's another tough question. I would say a combo of LeBron and Tom Brady. Okay. There, there is. There's, there's the middle. There's. So, so somewhere in the middle. Yep, right in the middle. All right. Well. Yeah. Two, you, I mean, they've been doing a long time. They're well, doing you, something right. Well, you just complete it. Drop down and give me 10. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Yeah. Well, you just got done listening to Michael Scala drop down and give me 10. You got to learn a little bit more about him and uh, his death row meal to uh, what he likes to do for workouts now. So we're going to start to jump into a conversation that I had with Dr. Shannon Green. She is uh, has a Ph.D. in microbiology and is also a very avid and very accomplished triathlete in her own right. And we sit down and we talk about the bridges between science and being an athlete and how her work, uh, working for the Department of Defense, is very potent and very explicit to what has gone over in the last year. So sit back, enjoy this conversation that I have with Dr. Shannon Green. Yeah. Hello, boys and girls. I would like to welcome you to the latest Trainers Talk. Uh, today's guest, I got a very special guest, and we also have a very special story of how we met, but that will come later. Uh, this guest, Dr. Shannon Green, she is a research program manager for the Department of Defense, and there's more there to it, but I, I, we'll see how much she can actually tell us when we, when we get into our talk. And then she's also a very avid uh, triathlon athlete, and we also talk about that, and I think her background with um, science and also her background with being an athlete is going to be a great discussion for today's talk. So Shannon, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes. Well, thank you for, uh, for, for joining me for this. And uh, like I said, we'll get to how, how we met, but in doing research, um, 
something that jumped out on the page when I was when I was doing this was what happened to you in 2012 when you had your injury? Oh boy, um, 2012 was a big year for me. Um, so I was in my final year finishing up my PhD in microbiology at UC Berkeley and um, was just getting ready to do my first triathlon of the season. It was gonna be at Stanford in February. And um, my race bike was actually in the shop. And so I was riding my road bike and um, out riding with my coach, just doing one last little kind of shake out bike ride a couple of days before the race. And about four or five miles into the race, I got my wheel stuck in a deep rut in one of those kind of crappy Berkeley roads and didn't even slide, just toppled right over to the side and fell on my hip with a pretty big thud. And um, turns out I actually broke my pelvis, um, the one, still the one and only bone that I've ever broken in my body. So I picked a doozy. <laughs> and um, yeah, so... I mean, even before I knew that I'd broken my pelvis, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do the race, obviously, in a couple of days. Um, and then when I found out about, you know, the the real extent of the injury, I was like, well, what am I going to do about nationals? That was coming up in about two months in April, and it was going to be my final chance to race collegiate nationals um, for UC Berkeley. And um, I mean, all's well that, that ends well. You know, I was really, really lucky and ended up having to have surgery and I was off crutches in about eight weeks, um, which gave me about a week and a half before nationals. And I checked with my orthopedic surgeon and he was, and I was like, can I race? And he was like, well, I mean, you're not gonna make it worse. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so I went with my team down to Alabama and I um, you know, swam really fast because I that was basically all I was doing for that eight week recovery period, just swimming. Um, rode my bike really, really slow. Just my goal is not to crash again. And then I walked the 10K. So it was the slowest 10K that I've ever done, the slowest race I've ever done. Um, but I was still able to cross the finish line for my team, um, which was a complete shock. Like I would not have anticipated that I was able to do that back when I was in the hospital. Um, but yeah, that was a big year. And then a few weeks later, I got my PhD. And then in the summer, I moved out to Washington, D.C. So 2012 was a really big year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I the, the reason why that stuck out and the reason I wanted to start with that was um, when you look at your education, you know, uh, PhD from Berkeley in microbiology, Caltech, you know, you're, you're not short in the brains department. I'm a big nerd, you can say it. <laughs> No, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to say that. I'm, but what I'm going to say, though, is like reading that story, what that really shows is how you got there. It's like one of the characteristics of you. And I know there's going to be more that when we talk that is out of there, but that just shows your determination and how tough you are, that you had that experience and you were thinking, how do I solve this problem mm -hmm. and still compete and still do my best at that moment? And so you know, taking that type of story, which like I said, jumped off the page for me, what, how, where did that come from? How did, what was it like growing up? Where did you grow up and, and a little bit about your family? Um, so I grew up in Austin, Texas. Um, I have um, two wonderful parents and a younger sister and um, Austin's a very active city. So we grew up kind of dabbling in a lot of different sports. Um, Tracy, my younger sister, um, was a phenomenal runners and really great soccer player. And um, 
I definitely gravitated towards the pool. Um, it did take me actually quite a while um, to convince myself to do swim team. I had been doing swim lessons since I was probably like two or three years old and would do swim lessons like every summer, always working with these different coaches. And I think for some reason, I thought that being on a swim team would make swimming less fun. Yeah. That was just how my mind worked. And um, eventually someone convinced me to, to just try our neighborhood swim team the summer after fifth grade. And I remember I came home from the first practice and I was like, mom, like, why didn't you make me do this sooner? Like, this is awesome. Um, so completely turned my brain around. But I think that says something about how my brain works that I don't really like to be pushed. Like I like to find things out on my own through my own sort of trial and error. Um, and if someone tries to push me into something too soon, I, I almost kind of instinctively like pull back. So it needs to be something that like, I feel like I'm taking ownership of my own journey um, and I'm able to, to dive in in that way. Um, so yeah, I was a swimmer all through middle school, um, high school um, and a little bit in college. So I, I um, went to Caltech with the intention of swimming there. Um, only ended up swimming one year. Um, basically just kind of got some injuries. Um, the coach, um, I don't want to say that he lied to me, but he suggested that I come out before the fall semester um, for preseason. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. I'll get to live in the dorms. I'll get to meet people early. This would be awesome. But what he didn't really tell me is that it was preseason water polo, not preseason swimming. And oh. I'm not a water polo player. <laughs> so we had like some element of swim practice every day, but most of it was water polo. And if you notice, I'm also wearing glasses and, um, and I wear prescription goggles to swim because I don't wear contacts and just, I'm weird. I don't like putting things in my eyeballs. And with water polo, you can't wear prescription goggles. You're not allowed to wear anything on your face. So I was like, well, A, I can't throw and catch a ball to save my life. Plus I also can't see. So like the only thing I was useful for on the team was the very first part where the referee will drop the ball right at mid pool. And then two people from either team like swim as fast as they can to the middle and then just chuck it backwards to their teammates. That was the only thing I could do. And then I was pretty much out. Um, but I, I tried and I ended up throwing out my shoulder attempting to play water polo. And so then my swim season was just kind of a mix of injuries. And um, I just, I, I think academics also just kind of got the better of me too. Um, got yeah. really into microbiology and was working in the lab a lot. And um, yeah, so essentially quit swimming at that point and um, didn't really pick it up again until I was at grad school at Berkeley in 2009 when I did my first triathlon. Yeah. And, and when you were at Berkeley, when you did your, who got you into your first triathlon? How did that happen? Um, so it was, uh, another grad student in the lab right next door to mine. Her name is Elaine. And, um, she had also been a swimmer when she was younger and she had done a sprint triathlon the year before. And she and some other friends were going to do a, a sprint up near Sacramento and they convinced me to do it. And it was such an awful race. Like, I feel like I did absolutely everything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a bike maybe two or three weeks before the race. And I really hadn't ridden a bicycle since I was maybe like nine or 10 years old. And I think at that point, I probably didn't even have a bike that had shifters, definitely hadn't ridden a road bike. Um, and I remember I swam, I, I swam pretty well, got on the bike and I um, was wearing a swimsuit and I put on triathlon shorts over my swimsuit, which also you're not supposed to do. This is before yeah. the run. So trying to put on like wet, like tight or tight shorts over wet legs, just was really slow. And then I sat down and I put on socks and I put on running shoes and I tied my shoes 
And then I got on my bike and I think I made it like 50 meters before the loop of my running shoelaces caught on the crank of my bicycle. So I had to get off and I had to like untie my shoe and tie it in this really fancy knot so it wouldn't catch anymore. And I didn't really know how to shift. And like all these people just kept passing me on the bike, all these old people. And I was like, I'm, I mean, I know I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm young and fit. And like, this should not be happening. And everyone passed me. And, um, oh, and then I also fell in the run too. It was on these like dirt trails and I tripped over my own foot and I fell and I was just covered in this red mud. Um, and it was such a disaster, <laughs> but I still had a lot of fun and yeah, really kept I mean going. <laughs> The, the what's 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 cool is that you you know you found something that you were really already strong at swimming and then you transition into um something that kind of kept you active because i i can just tell that like you were saying it seems like academics it was that those are the two sides of your life is it the academic side and the athletic side okay so you know most people are going to make the assumption that we met somehow uh, because I used to grow up in Northern Virginia, spent some time there, uh, went to school in Virginia. Um, but it's, I think it's even more interesting than that. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll kind of, we'll play a little tag team on, on this story. So I was down in Charlottesville for my cousin-in-law was getting married. And uh, my wife, uh, Jackie, was in the wedding. And she was, we had the rehearsal dinner later, so I had to pop out. I had a couple of things that she forgot and I forgot that I needed to get from the mall. And I was coming back and I get into the elevator and, um, and then somebody like yourself steps in with a sparkly dress and very sparkly, <laughs> very sparkly dress and you walk into the elevator. And so what happened from there? So we got in the elevator and we started going up. Um, I think my room was on the 10th floor, I want to say. And I think we got above the seventh floor and you could watch and see, you know, on the, the screen of the elevator as it was ticking off the floors and it goes seven and it started to go eight. And then all of a sudden we dropped and then we stopped and we were stuck between floors seven and eight in the elevator. Now I had gotten back in the elevator because I was also going to a wedding yeah. um, and it had just rained. There was a horrible thunderstorm that passed through as we were about to get on the bus to go out to the winery for the wedding. And so in my mind, while we were waiting for the storm to pass, I was like, shoot, it's going to be really muddy. I can't be outside in heels. I need to run upstairs to my room to get some flats to throw into my purse just for while we're outside. So that's why I went into the elevator to go up to my room to get my flat shoes. <laughs> and so we're sitting there and it, um, and at first there's like, okay, uh, this, this is weird. And we tried to reach towards the, you know, to reach out to the, the hotel through their mm -hmm. phone. No one's picking up. No one's picking up. We even call using our cell phone. No one's picking up. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you can kind of take it from there where like you called uh, your, your date at the time. Yeah. I called my wedding date. Um, it was an engineer and tried to explain the situation to him. Um, the reception really wasn't even that great in the elevator. Um, but he was able to kind of understand what had happened and he tried to go to the front desk. Um, 
And I think a large party was being checked in at the time, which is why no one was answering our phone calls. Um, so he finally got the attention of the front desk person and said, hey, someone's stuck in the elevator. And I think they tried to call maintenance to see if they could get it unstuck. And for some reason, maintenance wasn't using the right channel on their walkie talkie. So the front desk person couldn't find the maintenance person for a long time initially. Um, and then I think they were able to find maintenance and they tried, I think, resetting the power in the elevator and it turned back on and it still wouldn't move. Um, so then I think we realized, okay, we have a bigger problem, probably gonna need to call the fire department. <laughs> yes, yes. And so, and what, and so all this is going on, and this is like what 45 minutes to an yeah. hour almost. And so, uh, you know, it's just me and you in the elevator, and uh, and I and I, I kind of we started to chat a little bit, and and I could just I could tell, you know, being a being a trainer, I was like, I could tell you, you worked out, and uh, <laughs> my you know, swimmer you, shoulders give it away. Oh yeah, I mean you had nice, nice form, nice, nice arms and everything. And I was like, uh, she she definitely works out. And and then, you know, we just had a nice little conversation. And ever since then, we've kind of stayed connected through social media. Um, but coming thinking about, you know, the scientist side of you and the athlete side of you, how do those two parts kind of mesh together within your training and how you kind of move in life? Um, so I think as a scientist, um, for one, I'm very methodical. Um, I really thrive on, on routine and repetition. And that's a lot of what, um, being a scientist is, especially in a microbiology lab, you're kind of doing very similar things over and over and maybe kind of tweaking small variables here and there to try to see, you know, what might make a difference. Um, and so I think I apply a very similar methodology to my training. Um, over the years, I figured out what types of things work for me. Um, and what type of schedule is good for me, both from a training perspective, as well as, you know, when I'm eating, how I'm sleeping, um, all those things are important. And I don't like to change a lot of things at once because it's then it's very difficult to say the result of changing all of those things. You don't know which one actually, you know, was the, the magic bullet or, or the detrimental thing. You, you don't really yeah. know. Um, so I think I like to apply a lot of control in that way where I'm maybe tweaking, you know, just, just one thing at a time. Um, and, and also in really keeping track of my results from like a numbers perspective, um, yeah. especially in the pool. Um, my coach really likes to give us um, the same workouts every couple of weeks and uh, we record our times and he re records them as well and keeps track. And the goal being that each time you do a specific workout, you know, you should be getting just ever so slightly faster and, and having a slightly faster goal time. Um, so I really like the, the numbers aspect as well. And that sort of tangible output of, of what you're doing. So what are some of the biggest things that you've changed say in the last five years that has gotten the, the because you're so methodical in how you you do mm -hmm. your your measuring, what's the like the small the changes that you made that made the biggest improvement? You feel like? Um, I think I can break it down. Maybe I'll, I'll give an example for each of the three sports. Um, yeah. So I think I would say for cycling, um, for a long time I was more of a, a gear masher, so I would push a big gear at very kind of lower RPMs. Um, 
and my heart rate would just skyrocket when I would try to, to spin faster. Um, and I would say probably in about I guess 2017, 2018, um, I really started training more with a focus at having a higher cadence and trying to ride more at 90 to 95 RPMs, whereas before it was maybe more like 80 to 85. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like having that ability to spin a little bit faster has really been a game changer for my steadiness on climbs. Um, because I feel like I have more fluidity with how I'm shifting and I'm able to keep kind of a very steady rhythm in my legs, regardless of what the terrain is doing, if it's kind of going up and down. Um, whereas before, if I was pushing a big gear and then maybe the incline would pitch up, then I would really be slowing down my cadence and I, it just felt um, more uneven. So that was kind of one tweak that I made that I'm still, it's still a work in progress um, that I really have to focus on, um, but I'm much more deliberate about that aspect of my training. Um, for swimming, um, I would say that I've kind of taken a mindset that my swimming and triathlon is not going to be my main focus, that I'm a strong enough swimmer where um, I don't need to train a lot of distance to still be able to perform well in a triathlon. And so my focus has been a lot more on my races in the pool. Um, and my swim team's coach, um, Rich Williams, really subscribes to ultra short race pace training where our workouts are significantly shorter in yardage than I ever did as a kid. Normally we'd be cranking out like six, 7,000 yards in a practice. And now I may be lucky if I crack crack like 3000 yards, but everything that we swim is at a goal race pace. Um, so for example, this morning I was challenged to swim some, um, 75s butterfly at 100 race pace. So I'm essentially swimming three quarters of the race at my goal race pace. Um, and you're getting a lot of rest. Um, but the idea is that you, know, each one of those repetitions is really training your body to know exactly what that rhythm feels like to know exactly how you're going to breathe in a race, how many dolphin kicks you're going to take off the wall. And you really get that muscle memory, um, that translates to the pool. Um, so that's been a deliberate change as well. Um, and then with the run, um, I would say my change has less to do with running itself and more with the preparation. Um, so after I fractured my, my pelvis, um, the left side of my body got pretty weak um, mm -hmm. just because I fractured the left side. And I was already a rather right um, dominant athlete anyways. I'm right-handed and my right arm is always much stronger than my left. And, and so my, my right quad just kind of got enormous <laughs> as a consequence. And so I worked with a physical therapist friend of mine to really try to retrain the link between my brain and my uh, left leg, especially like my left glute um, to make sure that I'm really driving um, from that glute. And so yeah. we did a lot of work on like um, single leg wall sits and single leg squats and things like that to really, um, you know, make sure that I'm engaging, um, you know, my glute, my hamstring, my quad all together on my left leg to have a more balanced stride and, and stay more injury free. So, um, yeah, that was something that we really started working on in, um, I guess, 2016, 2017. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of little things that, you, I mean, there's so many nuggets that you put in that, um, breaking it down. Um, one of the things that I, I love is that the swim strategy within, you know, knowing that it is your strongest thing, where, where are you going to get the biggest return and, mm -hmm. and doing, you know, you're, and overworking your shoulders and 
doing this, you know, crazy long distance when you're already a, a very proficient swimmer, um, but focusing on the feel. Uh, and I think that makes more sense as you, as you get older that when I'm working with different clients is, especially as they get older, is to try to find the things that are bang for their buck mm-hmm. and not trying to overwork them, trying to, the whole goal is for them to be strong and agile and whatever they need to be when they're out in life. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, have that longevity. Exactly. Versus them walking out of the, the workout and feeling like they just got their, their ass handed to them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so what, you know, you talked about your routine, what is kind of give me a, a little bit of a breakdown of what is your training nutrition schedule like uh, within the scientist's uh, schedule? Oh boy. Um, so this question makes me giggle because anyone that knows me knows that I have the worst sweet tooth. It's awful. Um, actually, right now our swim team is doing a lifestyle challenge for the month of March where um, you get points for doing workouts and, but you also get points for um, prioritizing recovery. So if you like worked out six days a week, you actually get a point if you take the seventh day off just to try to facilitate a a healthy lifestyle. But one of the, um, there's a couple of other points that you can get for like eating a bunch of fruits and veggies. That one's easy for me to do. Um, But the other one is you get a point for every day that you abstain from alcohol, soda, and junk food. So the soda is easy because I've actually never liked it. I always hated it as a kid, just it's not a part of my diet. So it's like, cool, got that. Alcohol, that's fine. I can, you know, kind of take it or leave it during training. But um, but junk food, if it's like ice cream or baked goods, oh man, I'm awful. So I already told my teammates in this little challenge, I was like, look guys, that's one point that I'm absolutely never going to get. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I already had a brownie for breakfast for goodness sakes and another one with lunch. Um, so yeah, so I might not be the best example. And I mean, my friends like to joke that I really should have diabetes. Um, I don't know how I don't. Um, but I will say that I balance that out with you know, eating very healthy through the rest of my day. Um, yeah. I tend, I don't like count calories and I don't, you know, weigh grams of protein or anything like that. Um, I find that actually when I'm working out really hard, my body naturally does crave just a lot of fruits and vegetables anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just try to, I guess, mainly adhere to like the whole eat your colors, um, type of thing. So yeah, making sure you're eating, you know, different colors of vegetables and different varieties of fruits. And, um, yeah, luckily I've always been a fruitaholic as well. Um, so that's just something I've always kind of gravitated to. Um, and yeah, as far as like nutrition and training, um, I don't eat before I swim or at least within an hour window before I swim, just because I really don't like the feeling of having anything in my stomach. Um, yeah. I feel like I just kind of get bloated and it just, especially if I'm going to be sprinting, it just does not feel good. Um, and actually same for a run. I usually don't like to eat maybe within an hour of a run. Biking is a little bit different because you're very stationary and your stomach isn't sloshing around. So I kind of have more flexibility there. Um, if workouts are under an hour, I usually don't take in any calories, um, usually just water, um, maybe a little bit of Gatorade, just depending if I feel like I might be needing some electrolytes more so than for the sugar. Um, but if it's over an hour, then I'm definitely very conscious of, you know, making sure that I'm, you know, fueling my body. Um, 
your body only has about two hours worth of glycogen stores. Um, and that's, you know, fine if you are maybe really trying to lose weight or, you know, maybe trying to slog through a two hour workout, you know, fasted or something like that. But in general, I don't like to get myself to like a super depleted state. I like to stay pretty even keel. I think it keeps my mind sharper. And, um, as I'm going through a workout, I'm better able to focus. Um, so yeah, I'm making sure that I'm getting in some, you know, some solid foods. Yeah. And I think, I think to preface what you're, uh, about your sweet tooth, uh, I think you need to tell the people, what is your Instagram handle? Ah, Sprinkle Shannon. And actually that's my name on um, the Zoom. So for anyone watching the video recap, it says Shannon Sprinkles Green. Um, yeah, I have been a Sprinkles fanatic ever since I was a little kid. Um, my dad has this home video of me. I think I'm probably about two and a half years old and I'm decorating Christmas cookies with my mom or that my mom had baked and I'm decorating with my dad and there are these gingerbread men. And um, you know, my dad's kind of showing me how to put the frosting on and which I wasn't very good at, but then he gives me a, a bowl of sprinkles to decorate. And he sort of, you know, demonstrates how I'm supposed to just kind of, you know, dabble them on. And I just grab this like huge handful and just dump it all in the first cookie that I see. And then he's like, okay, well, let's do the other ones. And then I grab the sprinkles off of the cookie that I just decorated and put them in my mouth. And then I start digging up the other little sprinkles that dropped on the side. And I'm just like, just a fiend basically and couldn't focus anymore on decorating. All I just wanted to do was eat them. Um, so yeah, I put sprinkles on all my ice cream. Um, rainbow sprinkles, if the ice cream contains chocolate, if it's like a fruity or sorbet kind of ice cream, then I do chocolate sprinkles because I like to balance it out. Ah, nice. <laughs> and it goes with the eat your colors um theme as well so <laughs> I like to keep it balanced in all aspects of my life so what time of day do you normally do your workouts how like um and then how many days a week are you kind of working out usually I'm usually training every day and most days are twice a day um so I can give you kind of an example week um so uh, yesterday morning, woke up, took my dog to the dog park at seven. I came home and I did um, a core workout where I'm, um, you know, doing um, some body weight exercises, stuff with a resistance band, using a stability ball, things like that for about 45 minutes. Um, then I go to work, which is working from home. Uh, so yeah. I go to my home office. And um, then in the evening, I did an hour and a half recovery ride. Um, then this morning went um, to the pool, did a actually a really hard um, sprint workout. Um, then later this evening, I'll do another kind of hour and a half um, bike ride, but a little bit tougher. Um, definitely with some intervals thrown in. Um, Wednesday morning, I'll do a run um, and then I'll probably lift in the afternoon. Um, Thursday morning, another, actually no Thursday, I think I'll probably just be a one workout day, I think, because Thursdays I tend to have an early morning meeting, um, but I'll do a recovery bike ride. Um, Friday I'll swim um, and I'll lift then in the evening. Um, Saturday I do a long bike ride. So um, here in Virginia, we don't have the wonderful year round weather that you guys do in California. So we're still kind of emerging from winter, like yeah. seeing a little bit of spring, but it's, it's tenuous at the moment. Um, so over the winter, I've actually been doing my long rides inside um, on a virtual riding platform called Zwift. 
Um, and the fun thing about Zwift is you can set up these like virtual meetups with people that live wherever. Um, yeah. So one of my good friends lives in Florida and my dad lives in Vegas and the three of us have been riding together um, every Saturday morning. And so we're just texting each other in our little virtual worlds and our avatars are just riding in the, the virtual worlds together. Um, so that's been really fun just to, you know, make the hours go by and have people to chat with. Um, and then Sunday, I'll usually do a run in the morning and then an afternoon swim. And that's, that's my week. <laughs> oh, cool. Is there, is there a, um, do you listen to music when you work out or do you? What, I do on what, the bike. Yeah. 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 What's, what's, what's the go-to? Um, it depends. It depends what type of workout. So um, if it's something with intervals, then I definitely, you know, want things that are kind of more up-tempo um, and, or maybe kind of, I don't know, inspirational in some ways. Like sometimes yeah. I'll listen to like the Remember the Titans soundtrack, because that just always gets me kind of pumped up. Okay. Um, and then if it's like a recovery day, then, you know, I might listen to something more like, you know, some more mellow country or something like that to make sure I'm keeping my heart rate like nice and low. Because um, sometimes music can get me like more amped up and then I get out of a recovery zone. So um, I like to kind of tune my playlists just depending upon what the goal of the workout is. Totally, totally. Um, I have one more question for you, and then, uh, and do you have any questions for me? I think I do. Okay, so I have one more question for you. What's in something that's that's happening in your field, or something that is gotten you excited about what's going to happen in the next five to ten years? Oh, that's a good question. So, um, I work on science program management for the Department of Defense, and our group is funding research and development um, for pandemic preparedness. So we had started a program um, back in 2018 that was looking to work with um, academic groups as well as um, companies to develop a rapid response platform for being able to very quickly identify um, protective antibodies from people that had been infected with um, a novel disease and then being able to manufacture those antibodies as a therapeutic. And so we had started this program back in 2018, you know, thinking this is going to be a, a capability that, you know, could be deployed, you know, 10 years in the future or something like that. And then, you know, fast forward to, uh, you know, December, 2019, January, 2020, and we start seeing, you know, the very first cases in the U S of, of COVID-19 and we were able to, essentially tell our groups, we're like, hey, like you guys are already as a part of your research effort, you know, every year kind of doing a capability demonstration where you you pick the the pathogen that you want to work on, whether it's flu or Zika or something like that. And, and you put your your system through its paces and you find these antibodies and you manufacture them for animal testing. Like, let's go, like, let's actually try this on, on COVID, right? And um, so this was something that was just super exciting, but also scary because you're like, this is, you know, an oh shit moment because the antibodies our groups find, you know, could actually go into patients and could really make a difference in the pandemic. And, um, you know, that's what has actually happened. Um, you know, one of our, one of our groups discovered, um, one of the first antibodies against the, the virus and, um, you know, did a partnership with a, um, a large pharmaceutical company, Eli Lilly, and um, you know, that antibody received emergency authorization, and it's been, you know, saving lives, um, awesome. which is so incredibly fulfilling. And even though I'm, you know, not a 
practicing scientists with like, you know, my hands at the bench and, and doing that, just the fact that we've been able to, you know, help um, the company be able to succeed, to do what they need to do um, to respond to the pandemic has just been um, very exciting. Um, and I think that in going through this process, you know, as fast as we were able to go, you know, we're still able to identify areas where we could go faster with additional, you know, research and development investment. Um, and so that's what gets me really excited about the next, you know, five to 10 years. Like, how can we push not only, you know, the science of, of antibody discovery and testing faster, but also, you know, things in, in manufacturing as well. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, there's been a lot of articles in the news um, about, um, you know, reliance on a global supply chain for not only things like masks, right, that was very highlighted very early on, but even, you know, chemical reagents or even plastics that labs need um, in order to, you know, move liquids around or, you know, pipette tubes and things like that. Um, a lot of those are sourced, um, you know, outside the U.S. and you be came very scarce, you know, early on in the pandemic. And so it just, this event, this, you know, 2020 pandemic has really highlighted a lot of, you know, key areas where, you know, future investment could, you know, be game-changing for the next big one, you know, if and yeah. when it comes. Um, so, yeah, so this has been a, a big year for me, both, you know, personally and professionally. Um, and, but it's, it's, been crazy, but also just rewarding to know that something that I kind of helped, you know, touch from afar is, is helping people like that's, that's been a really big deal. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Thank you for sitting down with me. And this is, has been really, really great to kind of get to know you and, and talk it through. Uh, what questions do you have, have for me? So, you know, you asked me about you know, how the pandemic has kind of impacted, you know, my own training. And, and I wanted to ask you, do you feel like you're having, um, you're living in Napa as you do and, and having been through now cycles of disruption with the wildfires you guys have experienced, do you feel like that gave you mental resilience to be able to, you know, better weather the, the pandemic storm that we've lived through? Um, I would say, uh, me and Jackie, it's almost similar to your, your, your year of 2012. Mm -hmm. I think you definitely uh, sharpen your tools, you sharpen your sword in years like this, but um, they had to already be somewhat sharp before you even got into this year. Mm -hmm. um, I think what, what we learned and what we were able to prove is we just kept moving. Mm -hmm. We just kept moving forward. We didn't stop the train. We kind of, we never closed, you know, um, our, our physical spaces sometimes was closed, but we would do classes on Zoom. We would work with clients through FaceTime and, and we even built out our app, which luckily we were planning to do before the pandemic and we were already starting to work on it. So we were already shifting that way and we were one of the few gyms in the area that didn't shut down at all. We had services going the whole time. And, you know, you throw the fire on top of it. And yeah, it is discouraging to kind of keep hitting these like roadblocks and, mm -hmm. and these different things. But um, I, think, 
I think at the end of the day, what we realize is that what we provide mentally is to the people who are part of our community mm -hmm. um, is probably more important than what we sometimes provide them physically. And what we provide them physically is, is the ability to be independent, the ability to do triathlons, the ability to you know, work with younger athletes and stuff like that, to have more confidence in how they move and how they compete. Um, but you really, it was one of the few places where we could do outdoors things where people could like see each other and like, and like, Hey, how's it going? And yeah. And feel actually, so alone. Yeah. And you, I mean, you talked about that, like, you know, that community, like that's is you, you enjoy the workouts. There's a mental piece. There's a meditation piece to the workouts for yourself. But like you said, you do need to seize people sometimes and you do need to be able to like, just have a, you know, a, a dialogue with them that, you know, does that. And I think the, um, I think the pandemic and the fires prove that what our parents laid as a foundation and what we've learned over the years is kind of, we were built for it in a way. So I guess kind of a follow-up question. Um, you talked about how the services that you guys are providing for the, the community is you know, really helping to rebuild their own you know, mental health and resiliency. So how do you kind of find a balance between you know, serving others in that way and enabling them to preserve their mental health while also making sure that you're taking care of yourself as well? Great question. Very, very good question. Um, I think, so there's a couple of structural things that I do that helps me right, right off the bat. One of the things I decided to do fairly early when I moved to this area is I live in Santa Rosa um, mm -hmm. and, and then most of our work is in Napa Valley, mainly in Calistoga, but we have a lot of work that we do up and down Napa Valley mainly. I've purposely decided to live there, sleep there, you know, have my, my home there with my four kids and and Jackie there and this side of the hill is work mm -hmm. and so what that does mentally is um I have a, about a 25 minute commute to work that 25 minutes I use to transition my brain from dad life home life mm -hmm. to work and then vice versa when I'm coming back home and so that in itself, that 25 minutes when I'm driving home, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm listening to music, I'm kind of, I'm kind of allowing my brain to kind of go through a, a switch. And there was like a couple of years ago, we stayed here for a summer, we were in the transition of buying a house uh, in Santa Rosa, but we felt summer's really busy, let's, let's stay here. And it was a cool experience. And I was three minutes away from work. And, mm -hmm. but it, it confirmed what I'm doing is the right thing by living in Santa Rosa. Mm -hmm. Having a little and separation, church and state. Exactly. And, and I think one of the things is people know me over here for the work we do and things like that. And, uh, and when I go to the store um, over, over where I close to where I live, nobody really knows me. Or if they know me, they know me as Isabella's dad. Mm -hmm. Or they know me as Jackie's husband. Yeah. Um, and so which I'm kind of introverted too. And some people would be surprised by that, but I, 
I get, my wife gets energy from being around people mm-hmm. and like being in the center of that. I get energy by recharging so I can give that energy to people when I'm, you know, working and things like that. And so I become extroverted in a way when I'm around my work. But if you saw me at home, you'd be like, wow, that's, that's a different Donovan. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's more quiet. He's a little bit more to himself. Uh, and so, you know, kind of put a button on it. I think what um, that's, that's a big piece of it. The other part of it is, you know, knowing kind of you starting to learn, test things out. Certain things I test out is like when me and Jackie need the retreat time for just the two of us or just one of us to go somewhere to kind of get away. Uh, and we kind of put that in quarterly. I went one year where I just kind of pushed through and went like eight months, like six days a week, working six days a week, working six days a week. And I was like, that's uh, a little too much. So um, learning that. And then I think um, working on ways to talk work with my team and teaching them this so that they can filter it down because I can't work with everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and so showing empathy when I'm working with them, showing, um, you know, don't, it's not all about their medical history. You know, what really gets them kind of jazzed up? What really kind of puts a spark in there? Uh, what is the stories that they tell you, you know, about your, you know, like about your, your father and you putting the, the sprinkles on the, the cookie? Like there's, those are those little marks that happen that really makes the person and really gives the juice to the, to the person. I love that. Well, any other, any other questions? That was it. Yeah, I think, I think we're good. I mean, I can, I can grill you some more. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's good. Let's sit there. Cause uh, um, I, I want to really thank you for uh, sitting down with me and uh, I, I would love to do a part two as, uh, as, as things progress, as your work progress, as you're getting back out there and you're, you're actually competing, you know? Oh gosh. Yeah. I know. Who knows when? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But hopefully, hopefully that's soon sometime this year you'll be able to start doing that. Yeah. I, yeah, I would love that. I think I'm most craving doing a swim meet. Um, you know, my, my bike and my run, I feel like has been holding just, you know, pretty steady. I'm just kind of maintaining right now. Cause I don't, you know, without any races, I don't really feel a reason to, you know, really push myself and kind of push oh. the envelope. Um, I think it's just not really sustainable anyways. So just kind of maintaining. Um, but, um, my swim training has actually been going really, really well. And I had started experimenting as being a 400 IM or, um, starting in 2018 or no, I guess 20, 2019. Um, but, uh, like my backstroke and breaststroke are like finally starting to feel like real strokes. Like I never raced them really as a kid. I was terrible. Um, but I feel like I'm finally kind of turning that corner where it's like kind of coming together and I'm just like really getting that itch to, you know, put on a race suit and, and dive off the box and like, see what I can do. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know when that will be. I mean, master swimming has, you know, significant um, older population. So I think it's wise to you know, continue to be really cautious, um, you know, with swim meets until everyone is vaccinated and such, but I'm, I'm hoping for the fall. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you again.